I pray that you all had a good Christmas and, and are looking forward to a great 2008. A lot of times during this time of year, we see people who have are in a lot of doldrums. They've met a lot of challenges through the last year. And then they start thinking about, well, next year is another year like we just had. During the Christmas holidays, we receive a lot of Christmas cards and Christmas letters from a lot of people. And it's interesting to find out how many bad things have happened to people during the year. And yet, when we talk and listen to our Christian friends, we realize that there's a great joy even in the problems that we have and even in the difficulties we have. Because... Problems that we have are not unique to, Christ, to non-Christians. Sometimes we as, we as believers run into the same problems that the rest of the world does. But so many times we run in, when we run into these problems, we realize that we forget to realize that God is there with us and God is there to take care of us. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning... I want to speak to you on the subject of having joy and confidence in our life for the year of 2008. Before I begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you this morning for the blessings you've given us and for this time we have come to worship. And I pray you'll be with us as we're in this uh, time of uh, sharing your message with, with these folks we pray, Lord, you'll just lift our, open our hearts and lift our spirits that we might be in tune with your will as we go through this day. In Jesus' name I pray. The message that I want to talk about this morning is taken from the first, from the, from the chap, from the third chapter of 1st John, what I'm trying to say. It was written by the Apostle John near the end of the first century after Jesus, uh, Jesus' birth. It was written primarily to the Ephesian church, but but also included some folks, some other individuals who were that John was aware of at that time. We must realize that this 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 epistle was was written after Paul was gone and after these churches had been established. And John wrote this epistle to these folks that, that he knew of who were having some problems in their Christian life. We must realize that Jesus had, had told them they were going to have these problems. And even in the 20th chap- chapter of Acts, when Paul wrote that, the, the book of Acts, he recorded that the church at Ephesus was going to have some problems with their own self and with, with the things that were going on in their church. There were a lot of things happening in the, in the, in the uh, church at Ephesus. They had fallen away from, from a lot of their basics, fundamental beliefs. And re- you must remember, this is, a, this is a new church, less than, probably less than 50 or 60 years old. But as they had learned under the teachings of Paul and under the teachings of, the, of Paul's helpers, they had also been challenged by people who were having, who were, were challenging the faith and were challenging their fundamental beliefs. 
Some of the things that were happening in the church of Ephesus was the fact that some, some of the people in the church, now we're talking about the people in the church, some of the people in the church were denying that Jesus was born of a virgin. They were de- denying that Jesus even existed at all. And some of the leaders of the church were trying to teach that um, that Jesus only took on deity when he was baptized, and then he lost his deity prior to the time of his crucifixion. And of course, this this challenged this challenged the fundamental beliefs of the people that were that were members of these church of this church at Ephesus, and and uh, the the uh, people were. The people were losing their joy. They were losing their they were losing their confidence in being obedient to the Lord. And I would like to read to you this morning, or you can turn turn in your Bibles to the first epistle of John. I'd like to read verses in chapter three. I'd like to, like to read verses eighteen through through twenty two. And John writes, and he says, "Little children." And when he's speaking to little children there, he's speaking to them not in their physical age, but in their spiritual age. And he says, little children, let us not love with word and with tongue or in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and we will assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart is that and knows all things. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, we have confidence or joy before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. These people from Ephesus were suffering from a lack of confidence in, in their life as a believer. Many Christians then, as well as now, still suffer, still have that problem of having the confidence in their Christian faith. It's sad to see Christians who cannot experience the full joy of confidence in their faith. We have all encountered Christians who, who live with a defeated attitude, and, and the trouble is that so many, all Christians, have every right to live a joyful, excited, and fulfilled life because of their salvation and relationship with God. And so many are reduced to a life of sadness and boring and empty life. We try to live our physical, we try to live our life, so many, so many, those Christians who are, who are not experiencing the joy and the confidence live our life based on our physical abilities, on our mental abilities, on our financial capabilities, and our own spiritual abilities. In this modern day, we continually need a fresh dose of the message of encouragement. We need to challenge, we need the challenge to examine ourselves in the light of the basics of Christian faith. We need to build up our confidence in the salvation brought to us through a, relation, through a relationship with Christ and live a victorious life. 
Every endeavor a a person makes is met with some varying degrees of confidence and doubt. Some people take on difficult tasks with a positive attitude and are optimistic about, about the results. We've all heard of the expression that's talked about when you have a Some people go through life with a glass half full and some people go through life with a glass half empty. And and so many Christians go through life with a glass half empty. They're wondering, what's wrong with my faith? In this writing, John wants the people of Ephesus to be confident confident in in their relationship with the Lord by explaining how God sees their heart and wants them to enjoy the relationship with God. Whenever we are called to an important task, we need to have confidence that we're going to do it as well. Even in our physical life, in our worldly life, we need to understand that if we have a difficult task, we need to have confidence that we're going to be able to do it well. And the Christian life is no different. As we go through life as a Christian, We need to understand or we need to have the confidence that we're going to be able to serve God, enjoy serving God, and be with Him as we go through the, go through life and have a, we need to have a glass half full attitude or maybe glass all full. Speaking of glasses, I have a glass here. I'm going to take a drink. That, didn't nothing, that had nothing to do with the message. That just that I was, my throat was getting tired. <clears throat> John addresses the need for confidence when we come before the Lord. In the text that I read, he leaves the door open that we may not always have that full assurance and that complete confidence in our relationship with God. Let me pose some questions for you. First, Do you ever feel that you have lost your joy when you come before the Lord because of either perceived or actual spiritual failures in our life? Do you, second question, do you ever lose your joy because you think you're not doing enough to show your love to God? Third question, do you ever lose the desired joy you love, you, the desired joy you hope to feel during a time of prayer or in meditation. We all have spiritual failures and we we need to understand how God, uh, how how we should respond to God. When we we put ourselves on a guilt trip, we have failed to let God be in control. Yes, we need to address our failures, but as God has told us, we need to ask God and forget a forgiveness and then forget it. So many Christians, I think, who are faithful to, to ask for forgiveness from God, ask Him for forgiveness, <clears throat> but then they harbor the problems that they've had. One of the things that God calls us to do as Christian followers and as confident followers and as joyful followers is we need to ask for forgiveness and then forget it. I often talk about the fact in our small group that I remember when I was a boy and I did something that was wrong and I was probably going to get a whipping for it and I got a few of those, believe me. I didn't, after, after the punishment was over, 
I didn't go back to my dad the next morning and remind him of what happened the day before. I hoped he forgot it, hoped he forgot it forever. And the same way we are with God. We do not need to go back to God and say, Now you remember the sin I committed six months ago. Or you remember the sin that I committed a year ago. Or a month ago. Or a week ago. God is, is faithful to forgive us of those sins. And we need, to be, we need to be joyful and confident that he does forgive us, forgive it, forgive us, and has forgotten it. Remember what, that, that God not only called us to communicate with him, but then he said, let me take care of the details and allow him to make us joyful as we serve him. We all experience feelings of doubt and lack of confidence in our relationship for Christ from time to time. None of us are perfect. We're all human and we have that carnal attitude. And we just need to come before the Lord. And we need to experience those times when we don't have the joy. We hope for when we, have, when we are dealing with God, we need to experience the fact that he does forgive us and forget. I can't help but be reminded of a prayer that David prayed in, in the 51st Psalm. If you want to turn with to 51st Psalm 51. I've got these marked so I can get them and then I'm still having trouble finding them. But, but uh, David had committed a great sin with his adultery with Bathsheba. And he'd lived with that sin, not only the sin of adultery, but he'd committed a great sin in dealing with Bathsheba's husband, who he sent off to battle and had him killed. And here in the 51st Psalm, David, this is a prayer that David was making. And he says, and he says to, in his prayer, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your com- compassion, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and I know my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and, and blameless when you judge. In verse 5 he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother did conceive me. Behold, your desire, you desire truth in the, in the innermost being, and in the hidden parts, and in the hidden part you will make, make me known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, that I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me, make me hear joy and gladness. Let the, to- let the bones of which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my transgressions. If we look at the verses that we just read, we see in verse 3 that, that, uh, that uh, David prays to the Lord and he acknowledges his sin. In verse 9 he says, blot out my transgressions. In verse 10 he says, create with me on a clean, in a clean heart. And in verse 11, he says, don't cast me away. In other words, uh, he's saying to to the Lord, I know I've got problems, Lord, and I just want you to deal with them. 
David had been called out in his sin by Nathan. And in this prayer, he'd asked the Lord to blot out the transgressions and cleanse him from sin, particularly in verses 1 through 7. He pleaded with the Lord to purify him and made him clean in verse 2 through 7, 2 and 7. Then in verse 12, David says one of the most important things that I think he said, and, and in this prayer, he said to, the, said to God in his prayer, Create in me, a, 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 do, um, restore for me the joy of your, of your salvation. After all of the things that he had done, and he had asked for forgiveness, the main thing on his mind at that point was, God, I know you'll forgive me. I know that you'll take care of the wrongs that I have, that I have done. But the thing I want most from you, Lord, is to renew unto me the joy of my salvation. The other thing i got to do is avoid knocking that over. <clears throat> None of us can succeed, can succeed if we try to have that joy built on our own goodness. God is greater than our heart because he already knows everything. And God knows our heart. God knows our motives. God knows our innermost desires. God knows our strengths. And God knows our weaknesses. You know, God didn't pick out the most righteous and the smartest and the wealthiest and the most educated people to be his followers. He picked out people who were who were simple and, and who did not have an education, do not, did not necessarily have a social standing. He picked out those of, he could use in spite of our weakness, in spite of our strengths and our weaknesses. He picked out people with flawed motives and sinful desires. And yes, God picked us. Let me offer some statements of fact that I think are essential in our relationship with God and facts that I think we must understand if we're going to have confidence and joy in our service to him. First, man sees the deeds we do, but God sees the intentions of our heart. If our heart is right, then we must... If our heart is right, then he doesn't judge us on what we may have or may not have accomplished. Second. Man sees the weaknesses and sin of a sinful life. God accepts us as we are and accepts our petitions for forgiveness. Third one, God, God's voice of assurance is much stronger than the accusing voice of our confidence or the temptations of the devil. We need to understand that the accusing voice of the world around us is not a challenge to the assurance of God and the joy that God can give us. We should learn that the Lord is more positive than, than any negative we or the world can think up. When we wallow in our pity trip, we need to listen to the positive words of the Lord. And then fifth, in spite of our sins, God still hears us. If God, if God heard David's prayer in Psalm 51, then he will hear us and he will return unto us the joy of our salvation. 
then where does self-condemnation fit into the spiritual life? If we turn to the 8th chapter of Romans, we read in verse 1, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He, uh, uh, Paul is writing to the, the church at Romans, and he's telling them that as long as God's involved, you're not under condemnation. And then later in that same chapter, going over to verse 31 through 34, he says that, what, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things if God be for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up over for us all, how will he also, how will he not also with him freely give all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ. And he is, and is he, is, no, who is, excuse me, who is the one that condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died. Yes, rather than who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who intercedes for us each day? Let's look at some of the words that that Paul said in this letter to the Roman. He said, if God is before us, who shall be against us? Sometimes when we go through life and we go through the times of trials, we think there's so much against us. And yet when we realize that God is for us, then who cares who's against us? He said also in that in that eighth chapter of Romans, he said, shall he not freely... Give us all things. In other words, the things that we need are what God provides us. And even the world and even all our trials and troubles and sadness and and disappointment cannot be taken away. He said in that same verses, he said, it's God that justifies. It is Christ that maketh intercession. What, What I want for us today to see a relationship with God is not on how good we are, but how good God is. As born-again Christians, our confidence and joy in our relationship with God is not built on anything we do. It must be based on just being one of his children. The joy we should feel as part of the salvation experience can only be naked can only be negatively impacted by our trying to earn our own favor with God. We cannot earn our own favor and we cannot earn our own joy. That comes from God. When we take the approach that the joy of salvation is not enough, we need to, and we need to add to it, we have not allowed the gift of God's given sacrifice of the sacrifice of his son, whose birth we celebrated this last week, we're saying that's not enough. The spiritual joy we feel during our life is only based on God's willingness to forgive us and love us and care for us. As we enter this new year, I ask each of us to call upon God and on the and in obedient spirit and enjoy the life, enjoy our life with the Lord. 
As we enter this new year, I ask each of us to accept God's forgiveness. As we enter this new year, I ask each of us to look forward to to spending a wonderful time with God. I heard a preacher say one time, God loves us and and accepts us, warts and all. So as, I, so as we go through this next year, as we go through the year 2008, let's strive to serve the Lord in the best way we can and enjoy it. As David said in Psalms, in the 51st Psalm, Lord, please re- return to me the joy of my salvation. And I pray today that as we look forward to, the, to, the, to 2008, whether we're looking forward to it with difficult times or whether we're looking forward with anticipation of good times we just need to remember that we need to put god first in our life and we need to look forward to that time when we can enjoy enjoy that we can we can have joy of our salvation let's pray lord i thank you today for this time we've had to share your word and i do pray for lord for our church and for our people that we might have a have a positive attitude in looking forward to to this time of this next year when when we know lord there's going to be some problems that have happened we've seen that happen in the past we've had family members who passed away we've had sickness and problems in our lives yet lord as we look through this time we realize that we can look forward to it with joy just knowing that you're there and in control As David said, Lord, return to us the joy of our salvation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.